Hi everyone, this is Hills, and thank you for listening to Three Course Politics. I'm just letting you know that the audio in the beginning episodes of our show is not the highest quality you'd want to listen to. But we fix all these issues and more starting in episode nine. So just wanted to let you know about that, and thanks again for listening, and enjoy the show. Three Course Politics Podcast. My name is Josh. I'm Matt Hillsberg, but you can call me Hills. And we are very, very excited to officially be doing this. Uh, I'm going to introduce you to our podcast before we get started. Uh, the reason that we're doing this is that Hills and I have been best friends for a number of years now. We are big time political junkies and we are longtime Democrats. And podcasts are all the rage. And I think it's just the right thing for us to do. We think that we can offer something to our listeners that not everyone can offer. So what can we offer? Well, everyone has a podcast. So it was, uh, it was about time that we got one, too. I mean, first stop is the podcast. Next is HBO specials. So HBO specials. The guys on Pod Save America will come on the podcast. It's going to be good. So what can we offer you, our listeners? A couple of things. One is that we're both young, so we offer a young, democratic, progressive uh, point of view. Uh, We've also been involved with grassroots. I volunteered for Obama. I volunteered for Ralph Northam. We're not going to talk about that right now. We'll get to that a little bit later. (laughs) Did you want to mention Ralph Northam? (laughs) I do, but not right now. Okay. Um, Also, Hills and I have both never been in like the swamp of DC, you have to drain the swamp and we are outside of the swamp. So we can offer you that perspective. We can, I feel like we can explain things on a more basic term because t- politics can be so uh, hard to explain and there's so many rules and stuff and we can just kind of do so on a more basic level. Yeah. You know, you watch the news and everyone thinks that you already know what they're talking about and that you're already plugged in and you're kind of aware of it. But half the time, Everything moves so fast, you don't even know what's going on. So hopefully we can talk about things in it in depth and the way that you can understand it away from the news. Be able to talk things in layman's terms, if you will. We'll be the non-fake fake news. <laughs> um, we have burned a MAGA hat. Yeah, we, <laughs> that was great. That was great. Everyone should try it once, you know. Gosh. I mean... As long as you buy a hat that doesn't go to Trump, in case you can't tell, we're very anti-Trump. Um, there's no greater feeling than watching it just burn. It was, and it was, it was slow burning, too, because the materials are made of crap. Um, and we donated money from the money that we bought it with. We donated it. So it wasn't like we bought it from his campaign. So don't worry. Yeah. Uh, I guess it's a good time to say that over the course of the politics, there's probably going to be some language. So if you are with younger viewers, uh, maybe cover your ears or wait to listen to this podcast at a different time when you're by yourself. <laughs> or, you know, brace them, brace them for impact. Um, the last thing is that, you know, our views are ourselves and no one else's. So they're just us talking and our opinions. So just keep that in mind. Great. Uh, Matt, you want to go ahead and Tell them a little bit about our podcast, what they can expect. 
Yeah, so there's a reason we call this three course politics. So what we're going to do is we're going to present um, the show in uh, three main segments, but we're going to have little segments throughout. So it's going to be like a we're serving you a dinner, except it's just the politics. So we're going to have the first thing we're going to do is have a pre-dinner shot, which is a little quiz we're going to have at the beginning of the episode. And at the end of the episode, we're going to tell you the answer to the quiz. The quiz is going to be dealing with something that we're talking about during the episode, and it's going to be something that you can Google or you can think about when we're talking. There's no better way to start dinner than a shot of alcohol. And we're trying to replicate that. Yeah, no better. I do it every day. Do it every day. I don't. Uh, the next one is going to be an appetizer. So this is going to be a, like a quick recap of something in the news. Um, not, we're not going to talk about it for a long time, but, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to make your going to get your appetite uh, for the main course. The entree is going to be the main part of the, po the podcast. We're going to spend the most time on it. It's going to be something we're going to talk about in depth. And uh, we're really going to go into it. So you, you got you to gotta be ready for your dish. You got to choose wisely. You don't get a choice, but we choose it for you. And the dessert is going to be something nice and sweet at the end. It will likely be about politics. It could also not be about politics. Um, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a nice little treat for you at the end. And then we're going to answer the, the question of the quiz that we had in the beginning. Yeah. And I think for our listeners out there, we're trying to do this bi-weekly. We are both very busy people and we don't live in the same area yet, but we're working on that. Um, <laughs> Slowly but surely. <laughs> so Matt, why don't you go ahead and give them their quiz? So the pre-dinner shot, you ready? First one. So why can't the Virginia governor only serve one term? See, I brought up Northam earlier and now we're just bringing it full circle. We're gonna, we're gonna make this the whole theme. Um, so again, why can the Virginia governor only serve one term? Why is that? So we're gonna talk about the shutdown a little bit, but then, Virginia decided to light itself on fire. Why don't I start talking about Virginia, Matt? Well, uh, we got we got to address this. We got to address this, and yeah, I'm gonna start. Yeah, Virginia, what the fuck? God damn it! Okay, I'm from Virginia. Okay, that's where I was born, and to watch itself just go up in flames is nothing short of infuriating. Okay. For those of you that don't know, uh, the Virginia governor, Ralph Northam, was involved in a scandal where he was caught wearing blackface. And at first he said, oh, I regret being in the picture. And then he says, that wasn't me. So he's lying and he should resign. And then it came to Justin Fairfax. And at first everyone was like, oh, that's great. But then he's involved in not one, but two sexual assaults. Very bad ones. Not not just run of the mill. They're I mean they're very bad, real bad. And then we have uh, Mark Herring, who was also caught. What was it? Wearing blackface, or he was in a. I think he wore blackface as well. But he was like nineteen. It was like a talent show, and allegedly. No, I've been in a number of talent shows. Not once have I thought I'm gonna go out there in blackface. Not once. Not once. <laughs> So, bottom line is what Northam did is unacceptable. He's making it worse. I understand and appreciate 
that he's trying to make amends and go on an apology tour and say he's going to learn more. But at this point, he's just hurting Virginia. Virginia is a safe blue state. It went for Obama twice. It went for Clinton. I mean, that needs to be a safe spot for Dems. And the longer Northam's in there, the more he's just fucking it up. Uh, you know, moving on to Fairfax, I knew Vanessa Tyson. I took a class with her. Uh, she's a very incredible person, and she should be heard and listened to. Anyone who makes that claim that they've been sexually assaulted needs to have be heard, and they need to have a trial. Just like with Brett, I like Beer Kavanaugh. Um, my last point before I turn it over to you, Hills, is Republicans, you can't have your cake and eat it too. Hills, have you ever heard of a guy named Roy Moore? Hmm, he's a stand-up guy, wasn't he? Oh, no, 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 no. Don't be confused. He's a pedophile. Oh, excellent, excellent. And, you know, you would think if that's your candidates, you're not going to send the president of the United States down there. But they did. Trump went down there and supported Roy Moore. Didn't the RNC RNC support him, too? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Don't be confused about that. Okay, good. But, you know, that's just one instance. It's not like they have a senator who's a current sitting senator in the United States Senate say that she be first in line if there was a lynching. Oh, wait, they do. Oh, God. Cindy Hyde-Smith of Mississippi. She'd be the first one. She said, hey, there's some tickets. I'm going to be the first one in line to get that ticket. That's my ticket. God, what's wrong with people? What the hell? Do you think they sell those tickets on StubHub? She probably has her own promo code at this point. Uh, I mean, and no one addresses it. She just sits there in the Senate. Uh, she was there when, when Susan Collins made her remarks about Kavanaugh. She was in the back frame of it. I mean, like, there's just no shame on the ro- And like, yeah, we're talking about Virginia right now. But, you know, there, there, is, there, there isn't an equivalence in terms of people and parties. Like, at this point, like, you know, at least the Democrats are saying Northam needs to go. I mean, the Republicans didn't say anything. But Hills, it's not like there's a congressman who's been in Congress for like 30 years and has made horrible comments. Oh, wait, there is. Steve King. And it took till 2019. Again, 2019. For someone to say, maybe he shouldn't get a spot in the House. Maybe we should remove him from his committee. Yeah, I know you're, you're exactly right. And, you know, my take on the situation is that while Northam is progressive and he expanded Medicare, you know, his, his actions are, are just unacceptable. Um, he, he did an embarrassing, his press conference was outrageous. Oh, so bad. Uh, Josh, I don't know if you ever get the, the need to moonwalk when you get in <laughs> trouble for something, especially when you're talking about race relations, but I know I don't. I can't even moonwalk, and if I did, I wouldn't be doing it there. Well, you know, when Jess and I get into an argument, Jess is my wife, for those of you that don't know me, when we get into an argument, I often look for a spot to moonwalk and see if I can diffuse the situation. How many times does that work? It's never worked, and I've never done it. Well, maybe you haven't tried hard enough. <laughs> no, <That's> but, very... <laughs> but you know, the situation with Northam, like, it's unacceptable. It's, it's entirely under his In his photo, he was likely the guy in full black play, blackface stereot- wearing a stereotype picture of, of uh, a black person. And then he was shaking hands with someone in a KKK outfit. I mean, it doesn't even, it's, it's not even like, 
something to talk about. He should complete re- com- completely resign. He and you know what he should have done is he should have profusely apologized. He should have acknowledged his errors. And he should have set a timeline when he was going to leave. And he could have gone out with some shred of dignity and and call for redemption. But he didn't. He just didn't. Yeah. I mean, you watch his press conference. It's embarrassing. He was up there. And that's something you've seen from a GOP member, not a Democrat. It's it's mind-boggling. Yeah. And, and Fairfax as well, like, I never took a course with Professor Tyson. We both went to the same college, Josh and I, um, and she, when she was a professor there. Um, but, you know, she was loved by everybody. And I completely believe her and every other woman who, who've come, come forth against Fairfax. He definitely needs to resign. And you know what? This is bigger than party. This is about the decency of people, the precedent that this, say, this sets for people who do bad things. And they should not be in, in power. And, you know, Herring, Herring has the same situation, but I was reading his his letter, and it seems to be as remorseful as possible. So that's not a that's not a decision that I need to make. But it seems like I would it would be preferred if he was in the governorship and tried to at least make amends by supporting the African American community in Virginia somehow um, to really try and show that he's trying to get past this. Hills, I'm glad that you mentioned that because I had a question for you. Obviously, we're both Democrats. Do you think it's worth Northam staying in office, as horrible as that may be, if it means that the Republicans don't take over the governorship and then they wouldn't have, because if they, they take over the governorship, they're going to have the executive branch of Virginia and the legislative branch of Virginia. So is it worth him staying in power to avoid that happening? Or do you think it's just worth uh, him resigning and we'll just roll with the punches? Yeah, that's a good question. And the guys on Pod Save America talked about this too. It's, I think the good that Northam is doing is should not be overshadowed by this. But also, at the end of the day, he did something pretty horrendous. And we can have Herring as governor and, and not lose the governorship. But at the end of the day, I think we can't reward this behavior with letting it slide because it's just going to happen more and more then. So I think we need to think about this strategically, but also morally, at the, both at the same time. And sometimes they don't go hand in hand. So I would rather see Herring as governor and him make the case for his own governorship than have a GOP in control of this, because the GOP's policies don't care about anyone of persons of color, whether they're person of color, or they're white or anyone else. They don't care about working class families. So I think we need to have that conversation. But I think definitely we, we need to keep it in the hands of the dam, but I don't know if keeping Northamon is the right move. I agree with that. Um, all right. Well, I hope that our listeners out there have had a little food in their stomach. They have something to ponder as we move into the entree. Ready to go on? Yeah. All right. The main course. So our entree conversation is going to be 2020. What are Dems to do? We're going to talk about 2020. We're going to talk about everything 2020. So strategy. My take on this is that you need a couple of things that the Dems in 2020, how they're going to be successful. You need good strategy, which means strong policies, real solid policies. You need Green New Deal. You need that to be flushed out. You need to be stronger. You need bold healthcare proposals. And you can't be 
bogged down in, in how you're going to pay for it. You need bold vision. You need student loan reform. Um, I think this is something that's often overlooked by a lot of the candidates and that a lot of Americans right now are struggling with tons and tons of student debt. And if they had ways to get around that debt, um, you could really see a surge in this, in this economy. I heard that the Green New Deal means that I'm going to not be able to have ice cream. I'm also going to have to ride my bike everywhere to get a salad. Is that true? That's very true. Very true. You know, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez doesn't want you to have anything you do now that has to do with oil. It's such a false it's such a false argument because just because you're moving off of fossil fuels and producing 100 percent renewable energy doesn't mean you can't have anything that you have now. You can still cook with electricity. You can still drive a car with batteries. Nothing is going to be nothing is going to be taken away from you because the fossil fuel industry has been polluting this planet. Um, you know, that's a great point. I feel like far too often the argument from Democrats is we need to move on with fossil fuels, but there's no real way to do that. Obama tried, but he didn't get any help. Now, the Green New Deal is not going to have all of its aspects put into a law, but why is trying to save the planet a bad thing? I never understood that argument. I never understood the argument from the GOP as saying, we don't have to save the environment. We just need to use all the oil that we can. But the planet is in a bad, bad way. And if someone has an idea, at least, to try and save it, why would you just discount that? It's exactly right. They don't actually, and, you know, I want to see a Dem make this argument in 2020. You know, you can, you can, economic policy is now climate policy because we're so screwed in this, in this situation where, you know what, we need massive investments in, in green energy and technology to really make sure that New York and every single coastal city in the entire world does not go underwater in our lifetimes. People say we have until 2050. I'm sorry, that's really not a lot of time. And it's also the, the generation that have caused this mess won't, might not be around then, but that's not, that's, we still have to deal with this. So um, the, the crux of the matter is you need really strong policy from these Democratic candidates. Hillary had this, but she wasn't articulate enough, I think, in her vision for what she really wanted. You know, it was a lot of riffs off of the Obama policies, um, but she really needed, and that's what, that's what drove people to Bernie Sanders. He had really clear idealistic policies. I think you need idealistic, but also practical policies from these candidates. Don't get me started on Bernie Sanders. We'll touch on Bernie Sanders in a little bit. Oh, Bernie, you gotta, the burn, the burn is gonna be here, but it may be on Bernie. Josh, we need a strong candidate, right? Oh, do we need a strong candidate? We need someone who's not just going to say, deal me in. It was so easy. We just had to deal her in. She said it multiple times. She really gave us all the tools. All we had to do was deal her in, and we just didn't do it. <laughs> we do need a, a strong candidate, someone who has a plan and a vision. You know, we talked about Hillary a little bit, and – you know, for all of her policies and how smart she was, she never laid anything out. She was too vague. And she just wasn't a likable person. And that's some sexism that females face in running for president. So we need, we need a candidate who's likable. We need someone who can respond to Trump in the right way. Because I firmly believe that you can't just ignore him. He's the president of the United States. He's going to be out there attacking you. People want to see someone who's going to respond and respond in a strong way. 
you have to be able to push his buttons and make him say more crazy shit. Because now he has to run on his policies. He has to run on what he's done. So you have to push him on things and push him on his failed campaign policies. And when Trump gets flustered, he's going to say some crazy shit and hopefully that will drive independence away. And we have to be ready to push back and call him out for what he does. Because I don't know if you know this, Sills, but he's a horrible person. He's a pretty bad person. He's a fairly bad person. We'll get into candidates a little bit later, but I think we need to have someone who plays strong in the Midwest. Because the easiest way to beat Trump is take back Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin. Yeah, and you know, I never understood why Hillary in the debates, she never pressed Trump on his policies. And I understand it was a way to not focus it on him. But you asked Donald Trump what he does about anything. If you're in a debate with Donald Trump, all you got to do is put him in a corner, say, why didn't he do this? He hasn't done this. He doesn't know anything. Treat him like the idiot he is. Expose him for the con that he is. Really show Americans that he has no idea what he's doing. And you know what? There's 35% of that base. You got to just rip 5% away of that base. And you know what? Then you got the victory in the Midwest. Expose him from who for who Trump is. He's well, a moron. That and the fact that you can just say Trump is rigging the rules to benefit him and his billionaire friends. You don't have to go after the fact that he's a billionaire, but you should make it known that Trump is trying to change the rules, the rules that don't benefit 99% of Americans. What does he care about? He cares about making his rich friends richer, the Trump tax cut has been a colossal mistake. The GOP is not running on it for a reason. He's not going to get his border wall, even though he declared a national emergency, which is the dumbest thing ever. He, uh, he, he's not going to get it. He, he promised a huge wall along the southern border, and Mexico's going to pay for it, but it's not going to happen. And if it was going to happen, we were going to pay for it. I think he was also going to throw Hillary in jail. How's that working, Hills? Well, we still got to lock her up. I think people are still chanting lock her up at his rallies, which is insane. But, you know, on the messaging, you're exactly right. So here, here's what we were thinking about. There's going to be people who already don't like Trump, and there's going to be about 35 to 40% of people who do like Trump. So at the end of the day, you have to get a slice of those Obama-Trump voters, and they have to go into the Democratic column. And the way that you do that is you got to really put pressure on on his base. Put pressure on his base in the Midwest, in Ohio, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. Go to those states, create press conferences, create events. Do exactly what Josh was saying. A, expose Trump for his corruption that his administration is doing. Plant the seed. You gotta, you gotta almost incept them with seeds of doubt. You just gotta plant seeds of doubt because those those five to ten percent of people that you're gonna get in the Midwest, you gotta convince them that Trump is conning them, which he is, and that his policies have actually almost not benefited any of them in the past four years. And that's the way they're not gonna vote for Trump or sit out the election. You have to rip those. You have to do everything else and make sure you have good policies and a good candidate. But to win those voters, you have to plant seeds of doubt in their head. You have to do that by convincing them that Trump is a con, which he is, and also exposing his policies for what they are. And the fact that Trump has not actually gotten anything done that impacted them. That's the Do you think that Tom Hardy and Leonardo DiCaprio will help us with that inception part? I hope so. I mean, Leo seems like he knows how to incept people pretty well. So we can probably enlist him. And Leo, if you're ever 
listening to this show, you're more than welcome to join us. We would love to have you. <laughs> I really hope that Leo is sitting at home going, yeah, let's do that. That's a great idea. Those guys are good. You know, we love all your movies, Leo. We really do. Hi, this is Josh from Three Course Politics. We don't have any money for advertisements right now, so we're going to do the ads ourselves with made-up sponsors. The first one is Trump Steak. Trump Steak. If you want steak that tastes like shit, buy Trump Steak. The next one is uh, Trump Waters. If you want water bottled from the tap, uh, from places that don't have good tap water, that's Trump Water for you. The purest most beautiful water there is. Our next sponsor is Trump Winery. Trump Winery. If it looks yellow and tastes like piss, that's because it is. <laughs> we have the best Chardonnays here at Trump, Trump Winery. We have uh, the Chardonnay. We have the, um, the, the Tiffany Trump wine. No one knows about it. That's why it's so good. We also have the Ivanka Trump. Very good. Very fresh. It's so beautiful, folks. It's so beautiful. A better way to drink Trump wine. Uh, Josh, I believe you are you are chomping at the bit to talk about some of the 2020. Man, so I'm going to count through the candidates that we have who have already announced. Nine candidates. So, Hills, I think we don't have to talk about all of them, but we probably will. Uh, I'm just going to name a candidate, and I want you to just tell me the first thing that comes to mind when you think about the candidate, okay? Oh, boy. Let's do it. Kamala Harris. Progressive. Yes. I like Kamala Harris. What are your thoughts on her? I like her too, but I'm I'm a little I'm not skeptical. I just I feel like I don't know more much about her. I feel like I haven't seen who she really is yet. I'm very open to her. I think she's a strong candidate. I think she's got a strong record. But I'm I want to see more. Attorney, Attorney General, General of yeah. California. Yeah. So she really knows her stuff. Hopefully, I think she really knows her stuff, and she's been voting pretty progressively on a lot of the issues, but. I really want to see her policies get out, and I think we're going to see them flushed out during the debate. Okay, number two, Kirsten Gillibrand from New York, your home state. From New York. Well, she, she's one of the senators in my state, so I'm inclined to really like her, um, and I think she's a very good person. I just, I'm just not sure how much she can compete with the other candidates in the field. She doesn't have a national profile yet. She's known maybe in the Northeast but into political junkies like us, but I don't think she's known to a lot of the country. Not she's sure very her. into like the women's rights movement and Me, Me Too movement, and she takes stuff like sexual assault very seriously. It'd be interesting to see her go up against Trump in a debate. Yeah, I think you know she's a great senator. She's a wonderful senator, and I think even if she doesn't win the presidency nomination, she should be someplace. She's really good at policy, so I think even if she doesn't win the nomination, she's got a real uh, promising future for the yeah, Democratic Party. Thinking about Kristen, Kristen Gillibrand as like a head of state or head of defense or something, just have someone who's intelligent in there would make me feel a lot yeah. better. I also think, you know, potentially down the line, she could be a good VP pick as right. well. Let's move on to, we're in the Northeast. How about Elizabeth? Oh, she's uh, my first uh, progressive candidate that I was, I admired. She's been, she's very genuine. I think if she was ever president, she would put the banks in their place. I would make them spend so much money against her. She's also the best so far in student loans. People have a lot that she's got those uh, progressive bona fides and not 
fake progressism like other candidates have um, that we'll get to in a moment. But she's really progressive and she's genuinely a good person. Do you think that Trump's attacks on her, calling her Pocahontas, just sort of has negatively impacted her already enough to the point where she's too weak? No, I think think it was a bad move for her to really go all out. She should have just ignored it. But I think people are willing to forgive her. And I think they will. You know, it's... We think about scandal of the week, but by the time she goes to the debates, I think she'll have probably moved past that. What do you yeah, think? Yeah, I think it was a bad move. If she could go back, she wouldn't do it. I, I worry a little bit that she's too progressive and that it will scare off some of the centrists. She may be too progressive for people. Um, that's very that's very true. But, you know, she. I think she's good to be part of the conversation because she's going to move the needle a little bit for some policies that maybe people aren't aware of or people maybe didn't even know they liked. Wait, let's be clear about one thing. Elizabeth Warren is more than qualified to be a president. If she were to win, we would sleep like babies in there. All of these candidates, well, maybe not all of these because we're going to get to some that aren't, but almost all of these candidates are more qualified than Trump will ever be to be president. Let's talk about one of my favorites, Amy Klobuchar. Yes. Do you want to start? I like Amy Klobuchar a lot. She's won every state that for every uh, election that she's been a part of by a wide margin. She is heavily liked in the Midwest, and then it gives her a leg up in states like Iowa, in states like Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. I mean, she has a strong message there. I know she got into a little bit of trouble with treating her staff poorly, but She's a strong person. She's a strong woman. And if this were a man who was doing this, I guarantee this wouldn't be a story. Yeah, Amy Klobuchar is the senator from Minnesota, by the way. She was a lawyer. I think she was a district attorney. Mm -hmm. She's she's not as progressive as the other candidates. That doesn't mean she's bad. But I think she's extremely competent on policy. She's extremely serious. I'm, I want to see more from her. I want to see her articulate some of her policy, some of her vision, um, how she does as a candidate. She's just so new. And, I, and this is the first time that I think she's done this at this scale. So I'm willing to see more, even though she's not as progressive as some of the other candidates are. Let's talk about one of your favorite candidates. And one of mine. Don't worry about Oh, Booker. Uh, I think he is charismatic. He gives a great speech. He's had some hard votes that he's taken, especially with the pharmaceutical industry, because they're located in New Jersey, where he is mm-hmm. senator from. Um, but I'm I'm wondering how his message of love is going to play out. I'm wondering if he's going to be as hard hitting enough um, for people as they may want. I'm also wondering how, he, how much he's going to carve out, because he's in the same lane, the progressive left as Harris and Warren. And, and on the scope of things, they're really not far apart on any policy, but they're going to have to be very nitpicky because why vote for Harris instead of Booker? Why vote for Booker instead of Warren? You're going to really need to like the can- candidate on a genuine level. And, you know, I think Booker is genuine, but I'm also, there's a part of me that needs to see if the, anything is, is behind the scenes with Booker. Because if Everyone wants Obama, and I would vote for Obama again. Obama, if you're um, but us, find a way to run again. Please, please, we are going to vote for you again and again. I'm, I'm interested in Booker just as much as I am Harris, which is, right now, I think they're on the top of my list. What about you? I really like Cory Booker. I think that he is one of the more charismatic candidates who can compete with Trump. I think that his message of love is very interesting, and we're going to have to see how it plays out. I remember after the 2016 uh, DNC, or the 
you mentioned, uh, he was on Morning Joe or it's one of those other talk shows, and someone asked him his thoughts about Trump. And he was saying, I love Trump. Not love is in the sense that he supports Trump, but love in the sense that you're supposed to love everybody. And there's no reason to ever hate someone. And the more hate Trump throws at him, the more he's going to just embrace, you know, the love. And he's like, I love everyone. And I, I wonder how that would play in a national convention where you need to hit your, your opponents really hard. Yeah, I, I, we're going to see it in a debate soon enough if he can really dish it and take it. And Trump is going to hit him hard. The Republicans are going to hit him very hard about a lot of different things. And he's got to, A, clear those things up with a reasonable um, explanation, whether you like the explanation is one thing, but he's got to explain himself. And B, he's got to be ready to, to really, you know, if he doesn't hit back hard enough, people might see him as like, he's just taking a bunch of punches and love will win at the end of the day, but he also, you're in politics and it's a contact sport. You want to talk about a few of the candidates or introduce a few? Yeah, let's let's go some of the some of the candidates that either have recently run and maybe have less rec- name yeah. ID. There's Pete Buttigieg. He is the mayor of South Bend, Indiana. He got into the race. I think he's one of the youngest candidates ever. He's to the youngest. Oh, the youngest. Mm-hmm. So um, he, I don't know enough about him. I know I listened to a podcast or two with him on it. He seems like a uh, very nice guy, a very young leader. I don't know how much he's going to break through just because he has no name recognition. Not that Obama did to begin with, but, you know, to be seen if he's going to be the next Obama that breaks through the news cycle and really gets people behind him. He has to make the case, why should a mayor become president? What can a mayor do and bring experience that a senator or congressman cannot? That's his main, that's his main issue right now. Yeah. I agree with that. And also, like, what experience does he bring to the table as a mayor of not a huge city, not like Los Angeles or New York or D.C. or anything, of a medium-sized city that is maybe not representative of everywhere else? It has some of the problems that other places in the country has. But, you know, he needs to prove himself of why he's there and how he's going to make it. He did win in a deep red state. Indiana's a deep red state. Vice president's from there, so he may have that going for him. He may. I mean, South Bend also has Notre Dame in it, so there was a little bit of help from the college vote, but you're right. He he did uh, win in a deep red territory. Uh, for our listeners out there, Hills is very down on Pete. Not big on Pete. You know, with Harris in the race, Harris the Pete Buttigieg, I mean, it's, it's right now, it's not even a question. Yeah. You want to talk about Julian Castro? Yes, so Julian Castro, he was the mayor of San Antonio. So he and Beto are probably best friends. So that helps. They definitely know each other. Uh, and he was also Obama's secretary of HUD. So some Democrats may know who he is. Again, I don't know a ton about him. He was one of the earlier people to enter the race. I think he's progressive. But again, how do you separate yourself from someone who's more centrist? I think him and a Klobuchar... They're both pretty centrist, and right now the choice is pretty clear for Klobuchar. I agree with you. I think Castro, if he was in some elected office currently, he would have, I think, more chance to prove himself. But he's been out of he's been you know out in government um, for a couple of years now, and you know I'm really skeptical of his shots. And I think this is more of him getting a name ID for something else rather than a real presidential run, which annoys me a little bit because if you're doing it just for yourself, 
and not for the country, you sh- you're not you shouldn't be in the race. I mean, you can be, but you shouldn't be. We got two more candidates. I'll talk about the next one. I'll let you finish up with the last one, Mills. Sure. Uh, so talk about John Delaney. Okay, John Delaney is a former congressman from Maryland, where I live now. And he was the first person to declare that he was running for president. I think he declared like in 2016. He may have just moved out to Iowa and just camping up in Iowa. I know he was very popular in Maryland, probably has support in Maryland, but at this point, given how long he's been in Iowa, if he doesn't win or place first, second, third, or fourth in Iowa, he's probably going to be one of the first people to drop. He also is one of the, was one of the richest people in Congress. I think he was in like the top three, um, which is crazy. And the last one is Tulsi Gabbard. And oh god, jeez, um, I oh jeez, I mean, she just she is problematic. View rights of the LGBTQ community. She is on the wrong side of the Syrian conflict. She does not, she had met with uh, Assad, which was the dic- is the dictator of Syria, killed hundreds of thousands of people in the Syrian civil war. And, and she refused that she met with him without telling people. She doesn't criticize him. I hear her campaign just, she was flip-flopping on whether to run and her campaign manager just left. I mean, she's just doing this for herself. And honestly, she has no place in, the field that is truly really strong when you have a lot of really progressive heavy hitters and honestly i i everything i know about her is negative so either she's got to turn it around hugely or she should consider just you know trying again another time she is the trump of democratic politics she takes all the wrong views. She's insane. Yeah, she's just the worst. Yeah. But those those wraps up, who has announced already, if you thought that was long enough. So we're going to just finish up the segment about you're at the end of your meal. So we're going to talk about who's still to come, who is in the mix of announcing to be president. And we're back. So... We just talked about all the candidates who have officially announced they're running. Now we're going to cover one, two, three, four, five, six candidates who have yet to announce, but we're pretty sure they're going to enter. Tell us why you introduced the first one. Bernie Sanders. Um, for those of you who may know me, so Bernie Sanders is beloved by a lot of people, but I don't quite understand it. I think Bernie hasn't really created lasting change in the amount of time he's been in the Senate. He's taken some bad votes on, on guns. Honestly, I think he went way too hard on Hillary. She had her faults. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm not defending Hillary Clinton here and the campaign she run. What I am defending is that enough people who didn't come out to vote for her and Michigan was lost by 10,000 people. 10,000 people in Michigan, that is nothing. That is people voting for Jill Stein and, or staying home. And no one told her not to go there or anything. But honestly, I think Bernie really um, ended up spoiling a little bit uh, 2016. And I don't think he's really committed the change that other people have put forth. Like, why didn't he put forth the Green New Deal before? Why do we have to wait until folks, uh, you know, great that Ocasio-Cortez is doing it. But why did we have to wait for some of those things? So honestly, I I think we have a lot of stronger candidates than Bernie Sanders this round. Yeah, I think it's absolutely right. I am no fan of Bernie Sanders solely because of what he did to Hillary Clinton in 2016. And I have a special message right now for the Bernie Bros out there. Are you guys happy? 
Are you proud of yourselves? Is this better? Is this better? Is it better to have Donald Trump as our president than to hold your nose and vote for Hillary Clinton? Just answer that question. Is it better? You know, they rather have someone who represents negative a trillion percent of their views than had someone who maybe represented 80 to 95% of their views, but maybe not as charismatic, right? Yeah. If the burning train is going to California and you pick it up in Virginia, the burning train is going to go right to California. The Hillary train is going to make a stop in North Carolina, in Texas, in Idaho, in Colorado, in Seattle, and then it'll get to California. The Trump train is going to help. And the Bernie bros would much rather go, oh, let's just go on the Trump train. It won't be that bad. Well, guess what? It is. I hope you're proud of yourselves. And you know, it's just, it's not, I hope it's not lost on people, not necessarily the Bernie, Bernie bros, but the people who stayed home and or got disaffected because of the, the infighting in the Democratic Party. You know, we, we all this stuff with children being separated at the border, um, the environmental laws gutted. Um, the tax bill, it actually all could have been prevented if those folks maybe voted for Hillary. And we won't, we'll never know this, but honestly, it was a very self-inflicted wound for, honestly, the reasoning was not very good. Yeah. Bernie sucks. You want to talk about Biden? The only thing I have to say to Joe Biden is run. Biden needs to run. Get in the race, dominate everybody, and run. I love Joe Biden. I'll be like, I'll be like bringing back Obama for like a short four-year term. I think what he has to do is he has to say, I will do four years, one term, just to get the Democratic Party back on track and get the country back on track. Because Trump's done so much damage. We need someone with experience who can go to the, our allies and other world leaders and say, hey, sorry about the past four years. Here's your back, and here's what we're going to do to rebuild that trust. I totally agree about that. I think people are waiting for him to get into the race. I think he should do one term. It'll lay, feel, lay fears about his age. And honestly, um, he's really got a strong shot if he runs to win it. And I've been trying to vote with my heart and not my head this time because I voted with my head last time. Um, but, you know, I think if he gets in, he's going to have a run for the nomination. It's not going to be easy for him, but I think he'll be a very strong candidate. And in particular, he appeals to those Honestly, white working class people in the Midwest who threw this election for Trump. Um, he appeals to them he, in some fashion, and he can give Trump a run for his money there. Is that the reason why we should choose him? I'm not sure, but it's not, definitely a fact. I firmly believe that we need to elect someone who has the best chance of beating Trump. And the best chance to beat Trump is to vote someone who can appeal to those, those white collar, uh, white middle aged men that voted for Obama in 2008 and 2012 and flopped to Trump and Biden can do that. What about Sherry? Yeah, I think he's good. I'm not sure if he's, comp- I, it's interesting. I've been seeing some policy announcements from him that he's kind of going, he's progressive, but he's not going full progressive yet. He's going kind of middle of the road policies where he's trying to get consensus about like presenting himself as a, as a, a progressive who knows how to make, get policy done. You know, recently, a good example is instead of Medicare for all, he's saying, well, let's that let's have that as a goal. He's being incrementalist. But let's first start getting people um, over the age of 50 combined to Medicare instead of waiting for 65. You know, that's going to play well with the baby boomer generation who honestly put Trump in office and has screwed this country up. That's a discussion for another podcast. But <laughs> but he I think it'll be interesting to see what he does. And I'm not sure right now about him. yet. Terry McGoss, you want to start this one yeah. off? Terry McGoss. 
he is a throwback to good Democrats in Virginia. I don't know how he'll play out. Uh, he's very Clinton-like. He is a big-time supporter of the Clintons. Hillary, I don't know. I don't think he can win. I think it's worth him running. And maybe you can prove me wrong. I just don't think he has the charisma, and he's too close with the Clintons. It'll be an easy attack for uh, Trump. I'm just not sure if there's space for him mm-hmm. right now. Not, he was a good governor of Virginia, but mm-hmm. I just don't know if he's there's space. Can I talk about Beto? Please do. Ooh, I know he's not very progressive on everything, but there's something about Beto that just, it reminds me of Obama. It gets me fired up, and I wish he won his Senate, uh, his Senate race, and it's a little concerning. I wish he was just a current government official because, you know, you could easily see the headlines of, like, loser running for president and like that you know if Beto gets the nomination he would have been a uh, representative but he that would be his that would be it and that's not quali- disqualifying him but there's something charismatic about him there's something that really gets people excited about him at least me I think if he runs he's going to be a very formidable force very quickly he's going to probably consolidate that progressive side to one or two people and he's going to really take charge and if you have Biden Beto Harris and Booker in the in the race and even Warren, boy, is it going to be a, it's going to be your pick of the litter there and it's going to be a big race. Yeah, I just don't know if he can win. He almost won in Texas and what he did in Texas with organizing is huge and it will help Dems in the future, but he did lose. And I think it's very easy for Trump to paint him as a loser, as someone who can't win. And sadly, that message will get lost. I think he needs to hold office for something and then run. But it's hard to run when you don't have any kind of office in politics. That's true. Uh, and you added uh, Representative Tim Ryan of Ohio. I legitimately just saw a story, maybe on CNN, saying he was considering a run. All I know is that he was supposed to challenge Nancy Pelosi or he was thinking about it, but then didn't. I know nothing about him. Yeah, if he runs, I think it's going to be very uphill for him, and he's just doing it maybe to get a federal federal government spot. But, you know, I haven't heard that. We'll, we'll see. Maybe there'll be more than these candidates. He's the John Delaney of the Southern Cubs. <laughs> he is the John Delaney. <laughs> All right, and dessert is coming up next. Okay, now it's time for the dessert where you're done with your meal, you had a big appetizer, you had a big entree. So now it's time to go to dessert. And for the dessert, it's going to be, what is your dream ticket? Who's on that dream ticket for you? Josh, you want to go first? Yeah. My dream ticket is Biden Klobuchar. Okay. And why so? Well, like I said, they both had the chance to win the the Mideast. The best chance to beat Trump is to take Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin. And they can both do that. Biden appeals to that working class vote. Klobuchar is Midwest. And she's also a woman, so you get that factor in. And I think that's our best chance just to beat Trump. How about you? Fair. That's very fair. Boy, I have a couple of dream tickets. And I'm not really sure who I'm sold on. Well, obviously, it's Obama-Biden. Uh, <laughs> give me that again. But I think, I think there's one dream ticket where it's Biden-Beto. Because you have Biden at the top of the ticket um, experience and you have Beto who can really fire up that base. Um, another one is Biden-Harris because I think you have Biden still at the top 
and you have Harris coming in with a lot of progressive experience as well. Um, and then another one I, I have is either Harris or Booker at the top, either Booker or Beto at the bottom. And there's a lot of mix and matches there, but I honestly think my dream ticket here is going to have someone really sh- a strong candidate at the top, really strong. So that's why it's either Harris or Biden, in my opinion, right now. And then you need someone who's really progressive and really trustworthy um, and maybe doesn't have the most experience, but really can can drive people to the polls at the bottom. And to me, that's either Harris, Booker or Beto. I would hope it, I would love Beto to be vice president. A Harris Beto ticket. T- sign me up. Sign you up. Deal you in. Deal me in. See, Hillary said it already. Deal me in. And your other part for dessert, it's a two-part course uh, for dessert, is NCAA March Madness. It's coming up less than a month, and everyone out there should watch out for UVA. They may have lost to the 16 seed last time. We're not going to talk about that. They have a good team, and everyone should watch out for UVA. That's my pick for March Madness. You know, I don't really follow college basketball that much. I love doing the tournament because I think it's fun, especially when I come in last place. I haven't really followed it that much. I'm inclined. I know there are some of the big guys um, every year, like UNC and, and Duke and UVA. UVA. Yeah. yeah. So I like playing the tournament a little bit more. If I had to choose one, Josh is telling me UVA, so I'm going to go yeah. UVA. Watch out for UVA, folks. <laughs> All right, and then our quiz answer. So our quiz question once again was, why can a Virginia governor only serve one term? And here's your answer. Okay. The Virginia Constitution uh, from 1830 gives the governor a lot of power. Long item veto, uh, can name your own agencies, refuse to spend money, and if you serve two terms, it'd be too much power. Now, that's a dumb reason, but it is the reason why. The proponents say that it serves as an important check on an otherwise very powerful governor, while critics argue it results in inefficient governments and shortchanges the usual democratic process of allowing voters to decide the fate of their elected leaders. So that's, that's your quiz answer. Hope you enjoyed it. And uh, Hills, anything else before we wrap up? No, I just, you know, thank you for sticking with us. Thank you for being with us on our show. We know we're going to improve the show as we go on. And if you have any questions, you can reach us at threecoursepolitics at gmail.com. Again, that's threecoursepolitics at gmail.com. We'll be back soon with another episode. Uh, th- thanks, everyone, for listening. Again, Three Course Politics, spelled just as it sounds. Thanks, everyone. We'll talk to you later.